All right, so um, as you you heard, Maywish, uh, she, oh, Hunter, you're here too. Good, good to see you here. Um, uh, as you heard, Maywish, she read from Exodus 20 and uh, from the Great Commission passage out of Matthew 28. And so right off the bat, I want to address that this is not going to be a Father's Day sermon, okay? Because how do we go from the Ten Commandments to the Great Commission and Father's Day? So let's just call it out. It's not going to be a Father's Day sermon. The good news is that two weeks ago, Josh and many of the men really honestly preached the best Father's Day sermon that we could preach uh, and that we were blessed by. So um, I would count that as Father's Day sermon. And then we had the bonus patty uh, exhortation. So really, I think we're all covered. Uh, So sounds good. All righty. Yeah, what I want to do today is I want to share with you a sermon that I believe has been brewing in my heart uh, for about six to seven years. Um, And so um, I've shared bits and pieces of this sermon throughout uh, the last uh, few years during um, Providence uh, PBC 101 classes and all stuff like that. But really this week as I was asked to preach I feel like this was the opportunity to really put all my thoughts together as best as I can. Uh, so this is really kind of like giving you like where I am in this uh, development of this uh, theme that I'm going to uh, share with you. And I think uh, those of you who are here for Easter Sunday, I don't know if you remember, Jay preached a sermon around Mary Magdalene and really setting the, what we believe is the record straight on how we should actually interpret uh, Mary Magdalene in light of the gospel. Today's sermon is going to feel a little bit of that. It's really, I'm gonna, I really want to do my best to share with you what I've been discovering about uh, the second commandment. And I believe that we, have, uh, we need to improve on our interpretation and our reading of that passage, and especially setting it in the context of the entire scripture. So um, today's sermon is really trying to kind of like correct uh, several thousands uh, years worth of possible misreadings of that text. So it's a big task. Uh, I'm a little scared about it, so hopefully you will have some some grace as I share. So for that reason, uh, today's sermon is going to feel a little bit probably more like teaching uh, than sermon, but there's a sermon in there. It's just I have to really lay out uh, the passages. So there's going to be a lot of passages I'm going to walk through, and my prayer has been that I can at least show you at least what I'm, I believe I'm seeing uh, that could really change how we view um, uh, the church and how do we view the, the commandments and the law in the Old Testament. So, um, and then lastly, uh, as I, 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 so, so I usually don't have slides, but I have slides today. And I want you to know really quickly that I am not smart enough to figure out most of the stuff that I have on the slides, I did not figure out on my own, okay? So I used an article that I read about seven to eight years ago that really got me thinking differently. And then this past week, I discovered that actually this woman, Carmen Joy Ames, Ames uh, wrote this book, Bearing God's Image. And she basically, actually, she's a Wheaton grad, so I just want to call that out for some of you who are Wheaton grads. I think there's like five of you here. Uh, she's a Wheaton grad, got her PhD, and actually the article that I read, the author of the article actually suggested to her to take this 10-page article, I didn't know, and actually do her dissertation on it. So she actually wrote a whole dissertation, and then this wonderful book came out of it. So if anything that I say to you really resonates with you, I cannot encourage you to read Carmen's book enough. She's amazing, and I have been truly blessed by, by her. Uh, so I just want to let you know, she really has done a lot of the heavy lifting on what I'm going to share with you. Um, and I'm just going to put 
the thoughts together and then kind of sh I'm going to share with you some of my re my personal reflections but just full disclosure um, I, this book right here is where I got a lot of uh, the stuff that I'm going to share with you so all right okay so um, the the second commandment uh, in the NIV, it says, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. The ESV, I think, changes that word, misuses the name to, and says, take the name. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. Now, pretty much all the interpretations that I have ever read or heard about this commandment, all the sermons that I've heard, uh, all the commentaries that I've read, they really take uh, this word, take the name or misuse the name, and they tie it to the misuse or words, okay? And so over the last couple of weeks, I've been asking several of you, uh, as we're having coffee or just having a general conversation, I've just been asking, how, how were you taught? If you, lived, if you grew up in the church, you grew up in a Christian home, how were you taught generally about what the second commandment means? And 100% of the people that I asked, uh, they said something like this. They said, I was taught that I should not use the name of God in an irreverent manner. That was kind of like one of the primary ways. Uh, so obviously, whenever we hear somebody talk about the, the big man upstairs, right? We kind of cringe. That's like, no, that's not how we refer about who God is, right? Or, or, or God is a cool dude, right? That that is actually breaking the second commandment and miss. Uh, is using the name of the Lord in an irreverent manner, okay? That's usually one of the ways in which it has been taught uh, in the church. Um, and this is really primarily the main way that the nation of Israel, the Jews, actually took this very seriously. They, they were so afraid to misuse the name of the Lord in such an irreverent way that they actually prohibited people from actually naming the name Yahweh, Okay, that's how serious they were. They were like about uh, keeping this commandment, and so they um, they they changed the name of the Lord into like four different consonants. And if you can imagine, for centuries, when the average person uh, was reading the Bible, they actually didn't pronounce it. So over the centuries, it's believed that actually the average person, the average Israelite, didn't even know how to pronounce the name of God. Because they were so concerned about that. Only the high priest could actually say it aloud once a year on Yom Kippur when he was in the Holy of Holies. Okay, So that's the, the primary way in which Israel, the Jews, we as a church over the centuries have been uh, referring to or interpreting and reading this commandment. Another way too as well is obviously we don't use the Lord's name as a curse. Right? We don't, we don't use that damn, the D word, the damnation word, right? Like that, is, that is cursing, using God's name to curse, right? And so as a kid, right, we used to say, you know, variations of that, right? Like, gosh darn it type of thing, right? And we got in trouble for that because that is not okay, right? And so, but that's, that, that's the heart behind that is we don't use God's name as a curse word. And then the third way in which I believe probably most of us have been taught is we don't use God's name as a, as a swear word. It's a profanity, right? We don't, we, don't, we don't say OMG, that that's actually disrespecting God's name. Uh, we don't say the word Jesus, right, when somebody cuts us off in the highway. That's a swear word. That's a curse word. And it's so interesting because uh, unbelievers, right, people that don't believe in God, 
I've never heard an unbeliever actually use the, the name of Muhammad or Buddha as a curse word. Like literally never. But for some reason, Jesus and God, our God, it's okay for, you know, culturally to do that. So I think that's probably the way probably all of us have been taught uh, if you grew up in the church. If you're a Gen Xer or, uh, or older um, and you grew up in the church, you grew up in a Christian home, right? Whenever you misuse the Lord's name, what are some things that our parents did to correct us? Does anybody have any, uh, any uh, what? Spankings was a, was a good one, yes. Soap in the mouth. How many of you had soap in the mouth, right? Like, I want to find the person that came up with that idea and have a little conversation with them because that was annoying, right? Yeah, a lot of times, you know, and I think our parents, right, they were trying to actually teach us this, this and uh, I had to have my, wa- my mouth washed with a bar of soap or liquid soap a lot of times, right? And it's funny, I was asking Courtney this, uh, this morning, I'm like, did we ever have our kids do that? Because I was like in the shower going like, did, did we do that? Because I don't think I did. But I, and I think Courtney said no. Micah and Joel, did we ever do that? Okay, good. So we didn't do that, all righty? Um, and I was thinking about that. Why didn't we do that? And I think for me, um, I think Courtney just felt like that was abusive. I was thinking more <laughs> theologically. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, I think for me that interpretation has always felt a little hollow. Right, like we're in the we're in the second commandment, and God just leads. You know, the first one is you shall have no other gods before me, and then the second one is don't 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 use the J word. It's like like it's like okay, and then on top of that, it says because if you do that, I will hold him guiltless who takes my name in vain. It's just like whoa, that escalated really quickly here, like from like just a curse word to like now I'm like you know I'm 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 not guiltless, right? So it just always felt, every time I had to explain it, it just always felt like there's something missing here. I don't know, like, I, I don't have the full, the, the puzzle piece is not clicking right, but I honestly didn't have any other way of explaining it. I had, ne- I had never heard of any other possibility framework on how to make this thing fit. Um, and so that is until uh, about six, seven years ago, Jay and I were in Houston at a Christian college, and we had a one-hour break in between meetings, and I just went to the, there was a Christian library there, and I just said to Jay, I'm like, hey, I gotta, I'm going to go and see if I can find some books and, you know, just kind of like, you know, look around. And in God's sovereignty, I found an article, a 10-page article uh, that said, the title was Bearing the Name of the Lord uh, with Honor. And I just sat there and read this article, and I was like, I cannot believe, I have never heard that there was another possibility, another way to understand what's happening here. And so, um, so a little bit of what I'm going to share with you is going to get a little technical. So Hunter is our Hebrew expert here. I'm going to talk a little bit about Hebrew. Just want to let you know I am not a Hebrew expert. Hunter is. He just graduated. He will not want you to know this, but I think it's a really awesome thing. He actually just graduated from Denver Sam with, well, but wait, 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 that's awesome. But he actually got the Hebrew award. So, so he literally is the best Hebrew scholar out of this graduating class, and we have him here. So if I'm wrong, just kind of write notes and let me know. Uh, or if you have questions, go and talk to Hunter, not me. Uh, but yeah, basically, that word there, to take the name, uh, or like the NIV says, misuse the name, that's that Hebrew word, nasa. Okay? And what this article opened my eyes to is that actually... We, the, um, there's nothing in the Hebrew 
that connects that Nassau word to anything that's verbal or words. The literal meaning of this word is to carry or to bear. That's what it really means, to carry or to bear. And so I think what happened, uh, as I've read, is that over the, over the centuries, um, whenever the interpreters came to this, this command and this word, they just didn't know what to do with it because it's, it's like a, it's a weird concept of like, we don't carry around names, right? Like we, don't, we don't carry names. So, so they kind of like started to interpret it around like, okay, we don't carry the, the, the Lord's name in our lips. And it kind of like started, and then that's kind of like how it took off around. Uh, this is more about words and things that we say. Um, but I think the best way to understand what this verb nasa means um, is to see if there's other ways in which that exact verb is used in the same context around caring or bearing names. If we can find another connection that begins to kind of help us understand exactly what possibly this commandment is saying. And so, lo and behold, several chapters after Exodus 20, there are several references that I think are going to really help us understand this. So if you know anything about the book of Exodus, the first half of it is Moses and Egypt and Israel is in the, they're slaves and there's the, the 10 plagues, right? And the Red Sea crossing. And then in chapter 19, Israel is in front of Mount Sinai. Okay. Verse 20, chapter 20 is the 10 commandments. And really most of the rest of the book of Exodus is Moses writing down everything that God wants Israel to do in great detail. So like when you're reading that, you're like, oh my God, there's a lot of stuff here about the tabernacle and what, you know, what materials you should use to build a tabernacle and dimensions and, and like what utensils should be used for the sacrifices. Incredible detail the rest of the way. Inside of all those details, there's a, in chapter 28, there's a whole section around what the high priest needs to wear uh, when they go and make the sacrifices. And so I want to like zoom into uh, v- verses 21 and 29, and you can follow along in the slide. It says, there are to be 12 stones, one for each of the names of the sons of Israel, each engraved like a seal with the name of the one of the 12 tribes. Verse 29, whenever Aaron enters the holy place, he will bear the names. That's the word nasa of the sons of Israel over his heart on the breastpiece of the Sishion as a continuing memorial before the Lord. So what's happening here? What, what Moses is saying here is, hey, uh, we need a craftsman that's going to go and grab these precious stones. In each one of those precious stones, he's going to engrave carefully each one of the 12 tribes. And then we're going to, like, I don't know if they glued it or if they embroidered it somehow, and we're going to put those 12 stones into a breastplate that the high priest is going to wear. And he's literally going to walk in and carry those 12 names into the Holy of Holies. So what's happening here? What I think what's happening here is this idea of carrying the name or carrying the names has to do with uh, representing. To bear the name or to bear the names has to do with representing formally in a visible way uh, and so in this case, uh, Aaron is bringing the breastplate to the Holy of Holies to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Right? Amen, right? And so and, and Aaron's work is done on behalf as a representation of those 12 tribes. 
Later on, a few verses later, uh, in verse uh, 36 and 37, we see that the, not only is there a breastplate, there is also um, like a turban that the high priest is going to wear. And in front of that turban, look at it says, it says, make a plate of pure gold and engraved on it a seal that says, holy belonging to Yahweh. Fasten a blue cord to it to attach it to the turban. It is to be on the front of the turban. So what's happening here? Basically, another there's like a plate that's going to be fastened to this, 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 the forehead of the high priest. And he says, holy belonging to Yahweh. What, uh, and in the Hebrew, uh, whenever you have a name and you want to make a, something possessive, you would put like, a, like the Hebrew equivalent for the L, which is the Lamed. And when you do that in front of a name, that means it's basically saying, like in this case, Yahweh's. So that high priest and, and there's 12 tribes that are represented in the, in the breastplate, in the stones, are Yahweh's. God is saying, you are my possession, you are mine. It indicates ownership. Okay? Um, oftentimes in the, in the ancient world, if I was a king and I wanted to put my seal of like, ownership on like, really expensive wines or oils or whatever, I would, I would have a, a, a ring with my initials with my name, and in front of that name, I would have that Lamed, okay? And then anything that I stamped with, it was me saying as a king, this is mine. So today, you know, we don't do that type of stuff, but if I wanted to let people know that this is my Bible, right, what do we usually do? I just really would put my name in front of it, and in my case, I also put the phone number, right? So if I find it, somebody finds it, they know that I am the owner. That's kind of like what's happening here. So, so, th- so this high priest is bringing the, carrying, bearing the 12, the 12 stones representing Israel. He's bearing this plate that says, we are, like, we are Yahweh's, and we are being represented. We are being set apart for service to this king. So moving forward a little bit on this, uh, we sing this song, right? Uh, the blessing song. Uh, that comes out of this number six passage, the Lord bless you and protect you. I think I was looking at it this week. There's 72 million views uh, for this song that we love, that we sing here so often. And I think what I want to show you here is, and this is really interesting for me to find out, is this blessing, this high priest blessing, was something that was actually pronounced on a daily basis at the tabernacle or at the temple. So, so think, you know, we, we all, you know, we're so used to like Sunday morning, we just come here for a couple hours and do our service, we do our worship service. If you were an Old Testament Jew and you needed to go in, you know, whatever time of the year you had to go in and, 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 and provide sacrifices, that was like a like minimum an all-day affair. So like if you live in Jerusalem or near the temple, that was an all-day affair. You would just go early in the morning, for bring the, the sacrifice, you have to go and bring and walk the sacrifice over to the temple. There will be a lot of people there. The priests are doing their best to kind of like process everybody, you know. Um, and if you were not from Jerusalem or near the tabernacle, you have to probably do at least a three, three days of travel, right? Probably one day to get there, one day to actually do the sacrifices, and one day to go back. So this was a, a, an all-day affair. It took a significant amount of time to actually do this. 
And so throughout the day, you can imagine there would be all these sacrifices happening. And when the last sacrifice was done, the people that were there for those sacrifices for that day would just gather around and the high priest would just make this blessing. This is the blessing that every single day was given over those who were coming to participate in the sacrificial system. And, and we actually have the exact words. Isn't that cool? Of what the high priest said. And so this is what, what he says. Tell Aaron and his sons that to, to, to do this blessing. This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, may Yahweh bless you and protect you. May Yahweh make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May Yahweh turn his face toward you and give you peace. And usually we stop there, but verse 27 is really important. It says, so they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. So here we see a connection that is not just the high priest that's bearing the names, that's, that's carrying the name of Yahweh, here, after the sacrifices, because of the sacrifices, that now God says, and now I, I can put my name on all of you. Isn't that beautiful? I have removed the guilt and the shame and the sin has been removed. And so now you're able to bear my name. Now you're able to represent me. And I'm proud to place my name on you. Isn't that awesome? Okay. So, and there's so many more verses. I had to, like, control myself to stop. I actually deleted another slide because I, I just could have kept going. But no. Okay, I think we got enough data here. So what I want to do is now let's go back to Exodus 20 and reread this passage, right? And hopefully, maybe with, with the context that I've given you, maybe we're beginning to understand what's happening here. And hopefully you agree with me that this is so much richer. So... Again, you shall not bear the name of Yahweh, your God in vain. For Yahweh will not acquit one who bears his name in vain. The word in vain actually there, it means in a worthless manner, for nothing. Uh, it could also mean for ill effect. Okay? So, so I think what, what, what's happening here is God is saying, you belong to me. I have cleansed you of all your sins. I have forgiven you. I have done the work to cleanse you. And now you're my representatives to the nations. Please don't misrepresent me to the nations. Do not claim that you belong to me and then live as if you belong to another God, like a Baal. Do not do that. That is to carry my name in vain. So don't, play, don't claim that you belong to me and then live like your pagan neighbors. Basically, that's the paraphrase of that. So can you see how this is so much richer, I think, than just don't use the D word, don't, don't, whatever, right? Like this, is, this, is, this is, includes everything. So I came up with, there's a little graph here that I, I think hopefully begins to help us understand. What I want you to understand is I'm not saying that those interpretations that our parents gave us, that they were wrong, what I'm saying is that they're not enough. Does that make sense? So if you this morning, like me, thought that this commandment was about, hey, don't swear in the name of God, or don't say the name in an irreverent way or in a cursed way, right? Uh, yes, yes to that. But the big deal is, 
this idea, this concept of bearing the name of Yahweh. Does that make sense? Bearing God's name is so much more than the words that come out of my mouth when somebody cuts me off the highway, right? <laughs> that is in, true. When I, when I curse, when somebody does something to me and I'm impatient, right? Like, that is sin. And that is, in a way, that attitude that I'm displaying is actually a misrepresentation of who God is. That all fits under that. But, but the, the umbrella is bigger. So now, if that is true, then we need to really ask the question of how are we representing God in the way we treat other people? How are we representing God in the way that I interact with others? How am I representing God in the way I, if I own a business, in the way I pay my employees? How am I representing God if you are, have a boss to my boss? How am I representing God in the way I parent my children, right? In the way I, I handle my finances. So can you see that this is so much bigger than just the OMG uses of that word? So, so here's the big thing. Keeping the command to not bear Yahweh's name in vain changes everything about the way we live. As I was thinking about this, um, I think the Lord just showed me something a little deeper that I want to share with you, and that is, I think this, this chart helps us understand the difference between Christianity and religion. Okay? Religion is focusing on those little circles, and just like debating those little circles, and fighting about those little circles, and getting really serious about following those little circles. A good example of this is, uh, remember in the, in the New Testament when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he goes, Jesus, Rabbi, how, how do I inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus says, oh yeah, obey the Ten Commandments. He takes him right to Exodus 20. And he goes, oh yeah, I, I've been obeying that since I was a boy, he says. And Jesus says, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. See, Jesus heard the rich young ruler say, oh, I haven't committed adultery, little circle. I haven't stolen any, I haven't killed any, little circle. And Jesus is saying, you missed the whole point. Go and give it, right? It's about bearing my name. You're missing the whole point. So I just want to tell you, brothers and sisters, church, following Jesus demands everything out of us. Amen. Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. It's everything. That's what he's interested in. And I think as we read the Gospels, you, we get exhausted of all the different fights between Jesus and the Pharisees. And I think help me seeing the big picture here, help me understand, helps me see what's happening here. The Pharisees were about the little circles. And they had hundreds of little circles and Jesus is saying in Mark 7, he says to the Pharisees and to us, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain, there's a word, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So we take the commandments of God and dwindle them down. Oh, what, what happened? Oh, Okay. <laughs> And, and dwindling down to little circles, and God is saying, you have turned those into commandments of men. 
because I'm after the big circle. That's what I'm after. So Jocelyn and the team today, as we were singing today, you said we sang the words, shake up the ground of all my tradition. Break down the walls of my religion. Your way is better. We're just saying that today, brothers and sisters. I think that gets to the heart of what I'm talking about. I want to show you one more passage before I go. Right here. Before I go to the New Testament. So, so I just, we just basically spent some time in Exodus 20. That's the Ten Commandments. Fast forward a little bit to Exodus 28. I want to now just take you one chapter before Exodus 20 to show you, I think to reassure you one more time that I think this is the right interpretation. And so the context here of Exodus 19 is Israel just came out of the Red Sea, and this is the first time they're in front of Mount Sinai. These are the first words that they're hearing as a nation from God. And this is what it says. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. That's the Hebrew word, segula. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are words you are to speak to the Israelites. This is exactly what God wanted Moses to speak to the Israelites. Just want to highlight two things here. The, number, the first one is God viewed the people of Israel as a kingdom of priests. And this is incredibly unique in the ancient world. There's no, no other nation, there's no evidence that we have from the ancient world that a collective group of people in mass, a nation in mass, saw themselves as priests. Every other nation had priests, but here God is calling, you say, every single one of you has been separated, set apart to be and consecrated to do priestly work in this world. And the second one is this idea of a treasured possession. This, this Hebrew word, segula. And what I found is that this is a, term, a technical term that is, is used in, in the context of treaties when kings were making treaties with each other. Um, and it refers to a specially selected covenant partner invested with special responsibility to represent the sovereign or the king. So this idea of, of a treasured possession is so rich. And basically what God is saying to the nation of Israel is, I have relationships with all the other nations of the world, but I have picked you to be my special treasured possession, my special representative to the nations. So here we see that Israel went from slavery to a treasured ambassador. There's a missionary calling here that Israel, I, I believe, understood very clearly. And then the next chapter is where God says, Yahweh says, don't misrepresent me. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, I believe that this understanding uh, helps us understand what's happening in the Old Testament, all these Old Testament laws. Because for me, and I, I really think probably most of us struggle with this, right? Like, like, all these laws are just weird. But then all of a sudden, if we begin to really understand what's happening here, we begin to see that God needs to actually let his representative, his ambassadors actually really know how they're supposed to live. And so, and so God is laying out for them, hey, here's some laws about how do you do business, how do you do commerce. Here are my general laws of how you interact as a family. Here, here, here are some laws about, about uh, how do you, what, what does sexual relationships look like 
in my kingdom. And so the big deal about the law is all the different ways in which God wants us to actually reflect his character to the world. That, I believe, brothers and sisters, is what it means to bear the name of Christ, of God. And so once you understand all this, uh, you're going to see this throughout the entire scripture. I really hope I can open up the scriptures to you. Uh, all of a sudden, like when we have uh, Psalm 23, it says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. All of a sudden, hopefully that passage now is going like, to make, like, it's going like, to come out, come out, leap out of the page. Now, I just want to show you a couple of New Testament passages, uh, taking like everything we just learned from the Old Testament. I want to show you how that actually hopefully maybe illuminates some of the saints of Jesus, some of the New Testament passages. And I just have three real quickly. Uh, so in the Lord's Prayer, uh, the disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? And so Jesus says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And again, this is one of those where like, it's really weird to hear Jesus talking about, hey, may your name be holy. It's like, 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 does God's name need to be more holy? Like, what, is there something lacking in God's name here, right? Like, you know, it's just like, why is, this is a really weird thing. You know, we pray it because it says there, but like, I didn't really understand it fully. But if you've been paying attention, if you've been paying attention in the Old Testament, right, and you're reading the, this is why it's so important to really read the prophets. The prophets over and over and over and over again are lamenting the fact that the people of Israel are not bearing caring, representing God correctly. That they have soiled the land with filthy rags. And the vast majority of the complaints have to do with how they're actually treating the oppressed, the poor, the widow, the immigrant, right? And like over and over and over again, they're lamenting this. And then Jesus comes into the scene, and do you think he's gotten any better? No. And so Jesus is seeing all the brokenness of, the, of Israel. They're misrepresenting the name of Yahweh, the holy name of Yahweh. And the first thing he says when you pray, said, Father, may your name be hallowed. Your reputation is at stake, Lord, Father. May your name be repaired. As I look at the whole world, it's broken. And Jesus himself models for us how to pray and say Jesus himself in this prayer is committing himself to being a great representative of the ways of Yahweh. That's how Jesus starts. So what I want you to see is that the mission of the Old Testament, as it flips to the New Testament, is exactly the same mission. The second thing that I want to show you is, uh, and this is kind of tying it into to the Great Commission, I believe that this, uh, the, the rite of baptism in the New Testament is actually deeply tied to bearing God's name. And so Jesus says in Matthew 28, before he's risen up to heaven, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
Can you see how this idea of in, when you give your life to Christ and you get baptized, what you're saying is you're publicly saying, I am carrying, bearing the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit before a watching world. That's the big deal what's happening with baptism. So if you, if you look at baptism, it's just like, okay, that's the next step of obedience that I have to do because Jesus said, God said, I need to get baptized, right? And that's, that's kind of like how you're, yes, you need to get baptized, but that, that, is, that is missing the whole point. That is focusing on the small circles. So throughout church history, we've had baptism has been this point of contention, contention Right? And, and, and I myself have been baptized twice because I've been to churches where I was like, okay, I, like, we, got, we, got, we got hung up on the mode of baptism. And apparently I got it right finally. But nobody really cared if I was really bearing the name of Christ, right? We got it right. And then you zoom out of that a little bit and it's like, okay, this is a whole debate about infant baptism, a believer's baptism. We can go back and forth and, brr, you know, and we can just make that the big circle to make sure we got it right. When the big deal of what Jesus is saying to us as the church is, I want you to bear my name correctly before a watching world. Everything is so broken. I've, I've given you my spirit. I've given you the love of the Father. I've died on the cross for you. Can you? I've done everything for you to represent me. Step into it. And here we are focusing on all these other things. And so, so one of the reasons why, I, I was actually originally asked to preach about this. But I just felt like I had a bigger sermon. So anyways, this is a small, this is what actually I was asked to preach on <laughs> by the elders. Hopefully you're catching what I'm trying to say here. I think historically as a church, I know that when Jay, Josh, and myself uh, started Providence, uh, we came from, from Baptistic kind of churches where like this like little circle was a big deal. Does that make sense? And so over the years, we've had to like go like, yeah, you're right. This is not the big deal. And we've kind of broadened the Constitution to now accept different modes of baptism type of thing, right? And I think um, there are several of you here that have been attending faithfully that are now probably in the second bigger circle around this idea of infant baptism. And what that means is basically, if you don't know much, it's just some denominations on churches baptize children. The, 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 the parents believe they're in a covenant partnership with God, and so they, but they're obediently bringing their child to be baptized, believing that that child, through the parenting, through the church, that they're going to give their life to Jesus, and it's, like, it's an act of faith, right? And so, so, so this church is baptized as an infant. We believe that baptism is for what it's called believer's baptism, right? When you give your life to Christ, then the next step is to obey Christ with, you know, the following the step of public confession of faith, profession of faith with baptism, and I, and I got to tell you that over the years, we've had good people that have asked, can, can I still join Providence even though I was baptized as an infant? And I have to confess that we, we got hung up on that thing. And good people over the years have left and gone to other churches, and they're fine, they're, but, but, but we, we got hung up on this. And, and so I think over the last few years, the Lord has been really working and asking the elder team to go like, and I think this, this is why I want to share the bigger canopy here, that, that we want to be, and I think we agree, we want to be about bearing the name of Christ. That's the big deal, right? 
And so what we want to share with you is that we are suggesting that uh, we would change the Constitution to broaden that a little bit, to make that the big deal, and not the mode or infant versus believers baptism. Does that make sense? So I think what I wanted to do today is just basically share with you a little bit of our heart, um, and in a good way, possibly in a bad way, changing the Constitution of Providence is a big deal. <laughs> and so we have to actually, like, communicate to you as a congregation, and I think rightfully so, anytime we're going to change the constitutional thing, this is a very thing that we need to take carefully. Uh, so this sermon is just going to get you thinking about it. Josh, myself, uh, Jason, uh, and if you have Hebrew uh, questions, go to Hunter. We're happy to sit down with you over the next few months, but really in August, we have to, as a congregation, vote three months ahead of time before the business meeting in December if this is something that we want to do, okay? So this is kind of like letting you know that in August we're going to have a conversation <laughs> about this, but hopefully this sermon really frames the heart behind what we're trying to do. Does that make sense? Yeah. Thank you. Okay, and then lastly, I just want to, one, one last thing, and I, I'm done, because I can keep going. I'm so excited about this, but I just want to show you, friends, brothers and sisters, that the same words that Jesus gives to Israel in Mount Sinai the Apostle Peter, at the end of the New Testament, literally plagiarizes that pretty much and applies and slaps it onto us. And that is awesome. Look at what Paul, Peter says. But you are a chosen people. We, the people of Providence, we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special treasured possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, you were enslaved in Egypt. You were dead to sin, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you receive mercy. I really want you to, to take what, I, what I'm sharing here and just really read the scriptures through that framework. I think it will just open up so much of the scriptures. So, I don't know about you, but I get excited about this. All of a sudden, going to church makes sense to me. Because sometimes, my, favorites, my, my circles, we can make church about Sunday service. Attendance. Okay, I showed up. Check. Anytime you do that, just, just go like, something's wrong, okay? <laughs> what kind of music are we singing? Is the preaching like, like, and we just like get into that circle. And then you have to go to community group. We believe in community. It's all about like that's another circle. Brothers and sisters, God cares about bearing his name. Amen. 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 That's the big deal. I get excited about that. Like now it's time going to church makes sense. Being a covenant partner with you all makes sense. It's deep. It's rooted. We get to together be God's special representatives to our community and our city. Amen? Amen. All right. Thank you. Let me pray. Father, um, thank you so much for opening our eyes to the big deal. God, we want to bear your name well. We love you. We are so grateful for the forgiveness we have received, for the power of the Spirit you have bestowed upon us, for the sacrifice of your Son 
that he laid down his life so that we would have life. Oh, Lord, please ignite our hearts, I pray, about the big deal. Help us to get out of the little circles and just, God, that's religion. You don't care about religion. You have a lot to say in the prophets about this. Jesus said a lot about that, Lord. Change our hearts, I pray, Lord. And Father, as we look at our nation and as we look at our, the church at large, oh Lord, it just we're not representing you well. God, I, th- I think we can look at what's happening and just, oh Lord, it's got to grieve your heart. We're famous for all the wrong things. And so Lord, uh, we are grateful that there is hope. Because in Second Chronicles, you said that if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and repent and seek your face, you are so ready to heal the land. And so, God, we stand before you knowing that your name has been mis- misrepresented. And, Lord, we as the people of God here in this little church, repent and call out to you. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on your church. Revive your church, I pray. Amen.